And we are back, the Run Duo. Duo. I am Tommy Mitchell. And I am India Cook. Yeah, we got the duo. We got the duo right this time. Yeah, we got. Well, we were we were close. We were we were closer than usual since we been start doing this Zoom thing. So we are we're still on Zoom, um, yes. but we are back after another two week layoff. How you doing, India? I am doing well. It's storming outside right now, but I am doing good. There are no complaints. I'll That's good that. to hear. Yeah, storms are heading my way too. I hear the I hear the thunder. I don't see the lightning yet, but yes. yeah, I think storms are heading my way as as well. So you know it's Tuesday, so I hope everybody got their run in already because you don't want to be out in that lightning. Right, definitely not. I'm hoping that it dies down. So. Exactly. So <laughs> India, how's the training right. going? Everything is going good. I'm not necessarily training for anything, but I'm just staying consistent. I'm actually trying to. So I have a, the run squad is a, a group of friends um, that I have that are runners and we are doing 60, uh, we had a goal of 60 miles for the month of July. So I'm just trying to make, get, make sure I get to my 60 miles before July 31st at 12 midnight. So <laughs> I am doing what I need to do, getting my three and four miles in and my six to seven on the weekends just to make sure that I can stay with that 60. And I'm really appreciative of, that um that challenge because you know i was trying to increase my miles slowly and i think that it was time for me to get into a challenge to make sure that i did it so yeah heather uh heather i think is a part of your your run squad and she thinks she finished hers already well she was her goal her goal was to finish it um by today or yesterday she wanted to finish it by yesterday and she was driving me crazy about it so thank god yeah she she finished it yeah um but i was like you 60 miles you can do that enough. i want to do it by monday she's she getting them see y'all got to keep her out of challenges because hell getting these challenges and and forget everything and just is she doing another one she's doing a challenge with peloton yes don't even have a bike i'm like how you you don't got a bike she's like no there's other stuff you could do I, okay whatever you say um but you ain't getting no bike um but anyway <laughs> $2,500. What? Um, anyway. I understand. But she's deep into them challenges. So I'm glad, you know, you, you know, she got friends on the run squad that, that's getting it done. Um, yes. So uh, both of us actually got a, uh, got some, some um, at the request, not the request, but I guess, did you kind of ask Brandon what style you should get or did you already know what style you wanted? Um, yeah, I just mentioned to him, you know, what I needed and what I usually ran in. Um, so he suggested the Clifton Edge. Okay. So we had a former guest. Um, um, I don't forget what episode he was actually on, but he was on um, 61. Episode he was on 61. episode 61. Um, yes. Brandon, but, yeah, Johnson. Brandon Johnson, he uh, is a marketer for uh, Hoka. And so I just actually hit him up just to kind of see what, because I like stability shoes. So I said, mm-hmm. what are the best, because I've always wanted to try Hoka. So I said, what are the best stability shoes? And he gave me a couple of names. Um, but I eventually, eventually went with the R-High, I think it's called, R-High 4. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you got, which one, the Clifton Edge? Yes, the Clifton Edge, which is their newest, their newest one. Mm-hmm. So what did you tell him that you were looking for when, you, you know, when he, he, he recommended that pair? Well, I explained to him that the reason I, well, I kind of told him why I never tried Hoka because I felt like they were kind of thick and orthopedic looking and I'm kind of into 
look as well as feel. Oh, you want to be? So, oh, you want swag? Is what you were looking for? You looking for some swag? I mean, <laughs> I needed to look okay. <laughs> and so he was just explaining, you know, that the Clifton is a really good entry shoe, which he also talked about on the podcast. Is that you know, for people that have not run in Hoka One One to ensure that you know they're it's not too over the edge. So, you know, it's going to be different, but it's not going to be so much. So he just recommended that. I told him that I, you know, I do need, I like stability as well, but I'm kind of a mix between stability and neutral. I learned that some of the shoes that I absolutely love have been neutral shoes, even mm-hmm. though like if I go get a gait analysis done, they say I need stability, but I, it seems like my body still does well with neutral shoes. So, um, so I've explained, I explained to him that I explained to him, I kind of wanted an entry level into Hoka. I did not want, you know, anything that was too, you didn't want the stacks, stack height. I did not want the stack height to be too much so that I could, you know, get used to it because I'm one of those runners. I don't mind feeling the ground a little bit. Um, and I don't like too much cushion. Like when I was running in the Adidas ultra boost, it was too much cushion for me. Really? Yes. Okay. I don't like running in too much cushion. Like I like to feel my feet a little bit. <laughs> I love that cushion. That air that the that pillowy feel on the bottom of my yeah. feet. I, I love it. Um well that's why I always wanted to try them because I felt because whenever I, I mean I've run, I don't know what, three or four marathons. And mm-hmm. the big thing at the end of the marathon is how fatigued my legs felt and like my knees were hurting, you know. So I always thought, well, if I could find a shoe with more cushion maybe it wouldn't be like that you know uh-huh. toward the end so of course when i saw um hoka that's when i, I said okay i want to try these to see and right. I, i've only run in them a couple of times since i, I got them the first time mm-hmm. it was a good run it took a minute to get used to the stack height because mm-hmm. they are you know up there um it felt kind of good though because i felt tall but <laughs> you do have that, that, stack, that stack height so mm-hmm. the first time i ran in, in them i think i did I might have done five miles. Okay. Good. It took a minute to get used to it, but once I kind of got used to it and got my stride down, it was fine. I didn't really have a problem. The mm-hmm. second time I ran in them, um, I did have a little pain in one of my uh, feet uh, just because I don't really have arches. I'm pretty, I'm kind of flat-footed, and right. I think that might have something to do with it, but mm-hmm. I'm running Brooks now, and Brooks is kind of the same way, and I had the same kind of pain when I first started running in Brooks, but over time, mm-hmm. it kind of went away. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can really give a critique on a shoe until you've run about 100 miles in my, in my, if you can, you know, if it's not painful, of course, it's not hurting yourself. Um, until you've Ooh, run about 100 miles is a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so just for example, I mean, I used to run 100 miles a month. So to me, that would be yeah. usually, it used to be like a month for me. Now I'm about 80 miles a month. I don't usually run about 100 anymore. But when right. I used to run about 100 miles a month, that's about how long it would take me to really critique a shoe. Um, so I, I'm still it. in the middle of it. So we, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I ran in mine yesterday for the first time. And I did three in them. And my feet was not happy at the end. Um, and I know that it is, you know, you have to break shoes in. But this was a different type of hurting. And I mean, I'm not injured or nothing at all. Yeah. But it, it was just, it, it was not comfortable at all. And something that I can notice is... Um, the top they're they're a lot wider shoe than I'm used to like I usually like a snug kind of cushion mm-hmm. like a not I want to say a sock feel but like very snug to my foot outer mm-hmm. um and these are a little bit wider than I'm used to I can tell like when I when I uh 
when I strike the ground, I can feel the extra cushion on the outside of my foot. Okay. Which, whereas when I wear, like right now, I've been, um, I've been wearing the Nike Infinity React, mm-hmm. and those are, there's no extra outage really on on the forefoot of the shoe. So there's a lot of differences in regards to like when I strike the ground, how I feel. Like they feel good. They're very good to walk. Like when I'm walking around in them, because of course. I was always told, like, if you're going to break in a new running shoe, it's really good to kind of walk around in them first um, Mm -hmm. and walk around, you know, walk around the house, maybe go to the store in them. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, do some walking in them before putting them on a run. So I did do that. And they were very comfortable to walk around in. But the running, it seemed to be, you know, a little irritable. But again, I'm not giving up on them. I'm just saying that, you know, as of my first run, I was like, "Mm, we're going to have to see. (laughs) <laughs> well, I still want to thank Brandon um, for yes, giving us, you know, for, sure. the, for uh, you know, both of us had different things that we were looking for, and he was able to give us the, you know, the different shoes that would work for us. Um, so right. I definitely appreciate that, that the recommendation. So Brandon, thanks a lot, man. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, and thank you, you know, for the recommendation. Don't, sure. don't give it a try. So we're going to see how mm-hmm. it goes. So hopefully... I would love, I hope I can get used to them because like I said, I really do like the cushion. I think it will help in the end. I've been having some knee problems lately and I don't Mm. know what it is. You know what's crazy? When it started, I was running one day and I stopped running. And when I stopped running and started to walk, then my knee started hurting. And I was like, Mm. and I mean, I was probably about a half a mile from the house. I was like, Uh damn, how am I going to get home? But then when I run, I was fine. It was walking that was giving me the problem. But the other day when I, I was running, I did start to feel the pain. I had to, I had done a seven mile run the day before and I was trying to do like four the next okay. day. And mm-hmm. my knee was like, nah. So I, I got to okay. figure out what's going on with that. I don't know if I need to, uh, if I need to do some rehab, you know, start, you know, doing some leg work, make my right. a little bit, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely see. But nice. anyway, um, yeah. what else is going on, Indy? You know what? This is week four of my vlog, of my vlog, and I am just, you know, I'm finally getting into the routine of everything. I still need to adjust my schedule a little bit in regards to like filming and editing and podcasting and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's going well. It's That's going good. well. Give us a yes. little peek of what's going on this week. So this week I actually launched today. I actually launched a video talking about why and how. I got my ambassadorships. I get so many emails and text messages, just not text messages, but DMs, just about people asking questions as to um, how I got it and how I landed it. So on the episode that I launched this week, I actually discussed, you know, why I chose the ones that I did and why I'm a part of them and what I like about the brands. And then Mm -hmm. I also just kind of gave an entry level understanding um, and tips as to you know, how I started the search to find out that when companies need ambassadorship, when they need ambassadors, kind of the time of the year that it took place for me and kind of what you need to do. So, and of course, you know, how I did it may not be exactly how everyone else did it. And I'm not sure how ambassadorships are going to go going forward, being that 2020 was not much, not much of anything going on, you know, so I'm not sure how they will do it next year. But yeah, so I, that's what I talked about this year, uh, this year, Lord, this um, week. <laughs> and then last week I talked about my must-haves for my short run. So things mm-hmm. that I have to have and take on my short run. So that was fun. 
Oh, perfect, perfect. Glad to hear it. Yeah, it's a you guys gotta go watch it because you know, India, she's now not only do you get to hear her, you get to see her. So go check it out. And I'm definitely I haven't seen the one about the ambassadors. I would like to watch that one because I had a year where I was doing the ambassador thing. You know, it's 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 not for every well, not every ambassadorship is for everybody. I guess I should put it down. Yes. So that's yes. definitely something I learned um throughout through, through doing that. So I'm sure you'll talk about that kind of thing as well. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I think I, I even learned that too. And I did do a, a, just speak briefly on that, just at, you know, some ambassadorships that I have, I may not continue in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, just because I'm one of those people that the company needs to benefit you and you need to benefit the company. Like it's a partnership. Like yeah. it's not, it's not one-sided and you want to ensure that your morals and everything aligns with the company and their beliefs. And I'm very big on that. So um, I did briefly mention that in the in there and you are right like not every company is you know has a good ambassadorship program some of them unfortunately it's just free advertising for them <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, you know, basically, and that, yeah. that's where you really just have to figure out like what are they doing for you and what are you doing for them and are you getting benefits out of it so Gotcha. And not just allowing them to, you know, your free advertisement for them. Okay. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Definitely for sure. Yes, 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 yes. So that's what's been going on with that. So it's been exciting and I appreciate everyone that has been supporting. There's been some people that have been watching the blog that I know that are also listeners to the podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, I plug the podcast every single time because <laughs> you get to see me in two different places or hear me in two different places. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're enjoying doing the YouTube. Go check it out, guys. Trust me, all the stuff that uh, India is doing is not easy. Doing all, you know, doing all of this. And then, oh, you were on another podcast. Can you talk about that? Yes. So I was on the last tent, um, and that actually launched on last Friday. Um, and so Pilar is the uh, host of the last tent podcast, and she wanted me to come on to talk about kind of my journey as well as um we did talk a lot about kind of uh body body image representation um being a part of the running community getting people into uh the running world and things that cause people to be intimidated by running and just kind of goals we kind of talked about a whole gamut of things so i really enjoy the conversation with her again um her podcast is called the last and that's on Spotify, all the places that we're on, basically, she's on. So Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. She's also on Anchor. So, you know, all of those different platforms. But I really enjoyed that. Pilar is awesome. Great, great. Now, um, was it Sunday or Saturday uh, that they had the panel? So it was Saturday. Okay. Um, so Carolyn Sue, of that, and she's the the person that started Diverse We Run Instagram page. Mm -hmm. So her and Shawana White, um, as well as Natalie, and I keep, I keep drawing the blank on her last name. It's um, Mitchell, another, isn't it? Isn't that Natalie? Wasn't her name Mitchell? Let me see. I, I don't remember because I think it was Mitchell. I was like, oh. You was like, lady? oh. That's, that's <laughs> Do I know you? Yeah, you're right. So <laughs> yeah. Natalie Mitchell. So sorry, Natalie. So Natalie Mitchell, Shawana White, as well as um, Carolyn Sue came together and they did a panel to basically discuss safety around running and safety and inclusion around running. And something that was amazing about this panel, and this was a Zoom call panel, but something that was amazing about this panel was 
they were able to discuss and they had so many different people from different backgrounds and nationalities on the panel to give their perspective on safety and inclusion. Yeah, yeah. I didn't actually get to, to hear the whole thing, but um, you sent me a link that it is now up where you can go back and take a look at it. Yeah, so it's on YouTube now. So it's on Carol and Sue's YouTube page. And so you can, you know, watch or listen to the entire um, interview. Good, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, 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 the short part that I heard was very interesting. Just, you know, children won't let you sit and do anything. So I didn't get to hear the whole thing. So I am going to go back and take a listen. Yes, yes. I mean, I think so. To of course, I knew. So we have interviewed Carol and Sue on our our podcast here. So mm -hmm. we knew that she was obviously amazing. Shawana White, we've also interviewed. She actually. Well, let me give a shout out to her really quick. She won her fifty k this weekend. Yeah, I saw that. So amazing job. So she won her fifty k, and then she came and jumped on the podcast to do some hosting. So I mean, not on the podcast, the panel to do some hosting. So congratulations, Shawana. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> good job on that but um something so tammy shakur was on there which we know her as an atlanta trail runner darrell patterson was on there which we've had him on the podcast as well um and then there was a couple other individuals um janae dormy which we're actually going to be interviewing today um was on the podcast and connie and a couple other individuals that just had great information and i found it very interesting so tommy when i think about well let me ask you this tommy when you think about safety with running what do you think about what's the first thing that comes to your mind um when i think of safety personal safety it's more it's more about uh well first it's a more about just not getting hit by something that's the first part mm -hmm. the second mm -hmm. part um which honestly came more to light um when i was I hadn't run in the city in so long until I ran with um, ran the uh, Peachtree route on the fourth. Okay. I went really early in the morning. I hadn't run in the city in a while. You know, when you're used to running the city, you're kind of used to people popping out of nowhere, kind of thing. It had been yeah. a minute since I'd done that, so okay. I was really on edge a little bit. So then that kind of safety, because I do know of runners who have been held up while they've been running. So right. um, that's that's the second part. Now, of course, you know, with the things that have happened recently. Um, you know, that doesn't really enter my mind so much as somebody seeing a black man running and, you know, coming after me. I would, I think more of that goes through my mind is getting stopped by the police because I'm out running as a black man more than right. just an individual probably messing with me because I'm a black man out running. Right, right. And so I, I agree with you. Like majority of the time for me, it was when I think about when I initially thought about safety when running prior to listening to this podcast or listening to this panel, it was I do I do. And prior to Ahmaud Arbery, I've always had a thing in my head of me running in particular neighborhoods and me being seen as not supposed to be in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and me being seen as doing something, a criminal act when I'm just out running. Yeah. So that prior to Ahmaud Arbery, that has always been a thought in my mind. And more specifically, when in, when I run in particular neighborhoods that, you know, there's not many black people there. And, I, you know, people are kind of looking at you like, what are you doing out here? Or what are you doing running? Because I think mm -hmm. some people are like in awe when they see a black girl running. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first thing that comes to mind. And then the other part is predators. So, you know, I, I, I often think about just predators, people, like you just mentioned, kind of attacking you. You know, I know that there's been 
some cases, even some recent cases of, you know, women getting, you know, sexually assaulted and things of that nature while they're out on their run. Um, so I think about that more so than none. I, I often think about like a getaway car or truck pulling up, snatching me and then putting me in my car and I'm never found. Right. Yeah. So those type things play in my mind all the time. And I like, even my run yesterday, I was a little bit, I don't know why I was more on edge, but I was a little bit more on edge. So every time I heard something, I'm like looking behind me. It was, it was very, yesterday's run wasn't, wasn't comfortable. Not only my shoes, but I was kind of looking, <laughs> looking back over my, over my shoulder, which is not a good, it's not a, it's not a comfortable run because, and it's not an enjoyable run, shall I say, because when you can't just run freely and let your mind go and when your mind is focused on so many other things, mm-hmm. you can't really focus on your steps. But anyway, I digress from that, but that is something that I think about. But it wasn't until I listened to this pod, to the, I keep calling the podcast, Lord. It wasn't until I listened to the Zoom panel this weekend um, that that first we run put on, I, it was, there's so much more to safety from other people that I feel like we don't, we don't take into account. So one of the individuals talked about mental safety. And I know um, Danae Dormy, we're going to talk to her later, but she mentioned that. And that was one of the things she mentioned. And when she mentioned mental safety, she mentioned obviously the fact of like predators and people being out and about, but also going to runs or races and feeling safe to be you because everyone around you does not look like you. Mm. and actually being in a space of feeling comfortable to speak to the next person or to have a conversation or if someone's going to say something negative to you because you don't look like them and I think that can be that can go in very different ways you know because I know when I first started running there I didn't see many of me out at my races I mean it's it's more common now but I didn't see many of me Mm. um and the fact of safety and her feeling safe and being able to feel comfortable in those places, knowing that if something was to happen, who you could go to, to, to address your concern. Yeah, true, true. And, and the other piece of it is safety around um, just safety in the run community in general. So of course, as a female, we have to think more about kind of our gear and what we wear so that we're not I don't want to say attracting predators because predators are going to come regardless, but the simple thing, and I'll tell you a funny story. I think it was like two weeks ago. I had just, I want to say we, we had just finished our podcast and I was trying to get out the door to get my mouths in. And I thought that I was dressed appropriately, but obviously I wasn't. So my bra was not the right sports bra. And I had somebody DM me because I talked about this on Instagram and they was like, what's the right sports bra? And like, I explained to him that, Literally, there's sports bras that have light support, medium support, high support. Mm-hmm. And being that I'm well endowed, light, so you know, heavy support is what I need when I run. So this particular day, I probably had my medium or light support bra, and I didn't recognize it. And when I went out for my run, I was getting honks. I was getting like it was just. What? And it wasn't. Yes, and it wasn't purposeful. And of course, honks could have been good job. You're out running. But I know for me, I felt like it was because I was about to get a black eye and that was not good. And so I had to cut my run short because I felt very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in that space. And I think those are the type of safety things that we also have to think about as women that I think that obviously men don't have to really focus on those things. 
But I think we have to make sure that we're appropriate so we don't attract certain people or certain attention that's unwanted. Yeah. I'm always, um, you know, well, let me ask you this. What do you do? Do you, um, I know you're not a big Strava user, but I know you use Garmin. Do you have anybody that you send your Garmin live to? Braxton. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and he's adamant. He's like, it didn't go off. Like he'll call me. He'll be like, I didn't get the email. I need you to figure it out. Why I didn't get the email. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, Stra- well, Heather and I do the, uh, the live too. Um, when we go out, um, mm-hmm. I'm always telling Heather, like, she'll tell me where she's going. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think you should. I mean, you know, Heather's a brave person. She ran in the city, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm always like, you need to go someplace where there's a lot of cars going by. And, yes. you know, don't be in these secluded areas. Um, and where we live, there is a DeKalb, uh, DeKalb uh, Sheriff's, or I guess they're DeKalb PD. Um, right. office not far so we see a lot of them come going up and down the street so I try to tell her to stay on the on the main thoroughfares that they have the police officers going up and down the street on a regular mm-hmm. basis um, mm-hmm. but you know she's always like well I want to I want to try something new all right you can right. try something new and be gone so uh, right. <laughs> you need to stick <laughs> with the old faithful um, yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. anyway so I'm, I'm big on that. And then also Strava has one called Beacon. Now, it doesn't work exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Heather doesn't send it to me. I sent it to Heather. I just turned it on because I saw it. But yeah. um, it does send an email um, that says you are the Beacon person or the, the uh, safety person for this individual. Mm-hmm. Unlike live, which actually shows you your rep, which is a little different. Right. So um, that's why right. I like live. So it's, it's cool that way. But yeah, definitely yeah. Safe, safety. Now, you were talking about mental safety mm-hmm. I, at races. And, you know, you were talking about our, future, our, our guests that we're going to talk to about going to races and not seeing people that look like you. I do remember I ran a race. Now, most of my real, my running in my adult life mm-hmm. has been in Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, I ran high school and I ran a little bit, you know, after high school. But honestly, once I graduated from high school, I didn't live in Florida very much. I lived in other cities. Mm-hmm. But I went home once and ran a 10 miler. Um, it was on the campus of UCF University of Central Florida. And I was wearing a black man run shirt, like a running shirt. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, and I, I mean, I ran a hell of a race. That was like my, that's the fastest 10 mile I've ever run. I was very proud of myself because it's so flat. Um, okay. so I was very proud of myself and I, you know, hung around. I, I didn't have, I didn't run with anybody. I was actually in Florida for my sister's wedding and found a mm-hmm. race and decided to run it. But, okay. um, I remember I was standing at the finish line, like clapping people in and I went to like give this guy a high five and he was coming in and he was actually a part of, um, it looks like a, a, a Latin or Latina, um, or Latino, um, run group. Okay. So he was coming in, and I went to give him a high five, and I remember he looked at my shirt, and I mean, if you would have seen the look he gave, like, oh my God, mm-hmm. black man run, I'm like, you know, and I was like, dude, it's just a shirt combat. Right. You know I mean, that's kind of what I said to him, but I was like, you know what, I'm not in Atlanta. It's not like, you know, in Atlanta, yeah. usually mm-hmm. we, we have it a little different. You know, we usually do see people um, that look like us at races nowadays. We have mm-hmm. race directors that look like us in Atlanta. Right. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a little different. And I really didn't think about it being in Florida where you're right. It just, it, it really was not like that. Even though now I will say this, the race was very good. The director was really cool. He talked with me and that kind of stuff. But just mm-hmm. the other runners, I think, were a little taken aback by the black men run, you know, shirt. So I, right. I understand where you're coming on that, that tip. 
And I think that that is where we have to, and I spoke about this on the podcast that I was interviewed on, on the, the last 10th. We have to change the narrative around that. Like, why is it alarming of, of those words being put together? Black men run. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, like for me, I see it as a black woman. I see those words as empowering. Like, yes, a black man is out here running, staying fit, getting their feet. Like, I'm like, yes, we need more black men that run. However, mm. for some people, that narrative is scary. Yeah. You know, that narrative is concerning. That narrative is is of caution. Uh, why are Black men running? What are you running from? Where are you running to? What are you running with? And it should not be that. Um, and I think that that is where we have to change the conversation and a narrative around just what it looks like for these titles and these these that, that we have because to me you know there's people that ask me are you a part of black girls run and I'm like no I'm a black girl that runs yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying but it's all about changing that conversation that you have with people yeah definitely definitely and I think it should become to the point like okay yeah great nice shirt and you know keep it moving i don't think there needs to be, i want to get to the point where there shouldn't have to be a conversation i guess that's what i'm, I'm trying to say exactly you know what i mean like exactly. it's just okay great great i'm, I'm glad I, you're proud of yourself good keep, keep right it and i think i want to get to that point too where i would love for we get to the good i would love for us to get to the point where none of these conversations have to happen i mean i want the conversations to happen because we're always evolving culture is always evolving However, like to have these conversations because we have to really educate people because they're naive or ignorant to things is where mm -hmm. I would like us to get better. Um, but I think that, you know, it is a time right now where we need to have these conversations and have this understanding because, you know, something else that was brought up around safety with running is feeling safe enough to post your pace on social media, mm -hmm. like without judgment. Like, there's so many people, including myself, like, like, at times, I'm just, I'm not posting that, like, that was a bad run, you know, whatever, because you're, you're nervous of judgment. And of course, as an individual, that's up for you, that's up to you to address your feelings around it. And, you know, knowing that you still did well, but there still is a piece of, of people that bully on social media and talk negative about you if you're, you know, a certain way, or if you're a certain pace, you're considered slow. And that's not safe. You know what I'm saying? Like to where you can't be yourself and post exactly what you're doing. That's not okay. Um, yeah. So I think that there's so many different levels of understanding and safety and mental safety per se that should be discussed and, you know, understood. And we have to do better as individuals and as a community to kind of debunk the stereotypes and the negative words that we, we attach to runs or the negative things that we attach to individuals because they are maybe different than ourselves. Yeah. I always look at social media as good and bad because mm -hmm. I think, well, even the technology in running is kind of good and bad. It's good because we do, it's good to be able to know your pace and, and know all this and, you know, you know, your heart rate and all that kind of stuff. But of course there was a time when we didn't have all that information. And even if, mm -hmm. if we did, we had no way to put it all together and actually put it on the internet. Um, right. And I remember when Strava first started getting popular, um, Garmin really at, at first, I don't think they had a way that you could actually post your times. Like you could take a picture of your watch, but I don't think they actually had a way that you could take a photo and have your times on it. That came mm -hmm. because of, of what was the name of that app? 
that they worked kind of with, um, it was only on, it was only on iPhones, on Apple's, I mean, on Apple phones. Um, but it was an app that, that when first people started being able to take a photo and then put their time on the photo. And that's kind of when Garmin started doing it, when Strava kind of jumped yeah. in. But I do remember a lot of people being hesitant, like, I don't want to put my time out there. I don't want to put my pace out there. Which, mm-hmm. you know, that's your business if you don't want to. I didn't really care if you did or not. Um, right. But you're right. There were people that I know in the running community that, you know, they were, they were pace stalkers. They constantly yeah. looking at people. Oh, oh, look what they're doing. And it, to me, it hurts because I think some people run fast training runs because they don't want to post a bad time. You're training. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to go full mm-hmm. out when you're training. You're supposed to run slower, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, that's why I say it's not, I don't know if it's a great thing or a bad thing, but I, I definitely agree with that part of it. Yeah, I think that we we as individuals just have to really be careful and cognizant on how we say stuff. Like, even for me, I am careful on saying, oh my gosh, today's run was so slow. Because slow was relative, right? Because something that I've learned to think about is, I mean, I have, I, the followers that I have on my page range from Olympians to people that just started running and they can barely run a mile, right? Mm -hmm. And I embrace everyone from front to back to in between. And my thing is my slow day of running 13, 14 minute miles may be someone's goals because yeah. they're barely running a mile, right? Mm-hmm. But then I also know that there's some people that are running six and seven minute miles. And when they run an eight minute mile, they are about to shit bricks because it, they just felt like it was the worst run ever. I would kill to run an eight, hour mile, eight <laughs> minute mile. So yeah. it's kind of one of those things where slow is relative, but I also understand when you say slow, or when you say certain things about your pace, you could be demeaning someone else and making them feel uncomfortable about what they are doing. If it is a lot, you know, if it's a different pace than theirs. So I just think that we have to be, you know, cautious of that. And it takes one person to say something negative or do a sly remark or to question you about your pace for you to feel uncomfortable and for that to sit with you for a while. Yeah, true. Um, I'm with you on that because pace is relative, you know, because I mean, I, I can say that because there was a time that I used to run eight minute miles. I don't do that anymore. I can't do mm-hmm. I, right now. I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I feel just as good when I'm out there, when I'm right. running, even though I'm not running eight minute miles anymore, I feel just as good when I'm training. I feel good when my, when, you know, my form feels good, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I, I, I give myself, you know, and it's, you know, it's hard to look at because you get those memories, right? You get memories on Facebook and, mem- yep. you know, I get the memories from when I ran 14 miles and I was averaging, you know, 830 per mile. I was like, I couldn't run 14 miles right now. Right. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. I understand. So I can, you know, I understand exactly what you're saying. It is always relative. I don't think yeah. I've, I'm trying to think if I've ever said that I had a, you know, this was slow. I may have when I was running faster times. I think I might mm-hmm. have said something like that. Um, but, you know, now that I don't run those kinds of times, I think I, I am more cognizant of, okay, you know, I, you know, there are people who don't run, you know, the pace that I run now and I don't want them to feel bad. So I, I really don't say it like that too much. Anymore. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we have to just be cognizant of those things and understand that, there's always someone getting to where you want to be and there's always going to be someone ahead of where you want to be. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's always going to be someone on every end. And I just think that it's, it's very important. And I really appreciate um, the panel that took place uh, with, with Diverse Rerun and Shawana White, with Carolyn Sue and Shawana White and Natalie Mitchell. Thank you for putting that on because I feel like it opened up a lot of doors in regards to conversations and just honestly things that, you know, we don't think about and, you know, just things that we don't, um, when you're in a certain pocket of people, you don't really think about or understand, or you may not, you know, it may not come across your radar. So, I mean, it's those type of conversations that we need to have in regards to opening up the door for representation, as well as just education around things that may not be in your face every single day. And it kind of opens your the doors for you to be able to educate yourself and say, you know what, maybe I need to learn more about this, or maybe I need to be more cognizant on how I say this, because now you know that it could offend someone. Exactly. Very good points. Very good points. Yes, yes, yes. So, of course, you know, with the whole, all of these conversations that's been happening with diversity and, you know, representation. So, a little birdie has mentioned that there is a diverse running um, digital magazine that's going to be coming out soon. Um, I've heard this. So, say it again. I said I've heard this as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, of course, not a lot of information has been put out there about it, but they did mention that the cover and the name of the magazine will be launched on July 27th, which is next Monday. Um, So I have signed up to get the notifications and subscription for that, and I'm really excited about it. Um, It seems like to me it's going to be, I don't want to say New York-based, but it sounds like someone in the New York area is the one that has started this platform, and I just hope that they are open to getting athletes from all over the place true yeah I, I hope so too and you know new york usually does it right i give it to, i give them credit it's there's some very creative people um in that uh new york area so i'm looking forward to it uh you know i, I think it's coming out of the whole you know runner's world thing and um you know mm-hmm. basically like hey why are we constantly asking other people to represent us why don't we just represent ourselves so right um, it's 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 great so yeah, I mean, I'm really I excited about it. I mean, I'm not sure. You know, you you you're an ATL baby, so I'm not. What what was the black ma- newspaper here? Do you recall? <sighs> I think I was just by their place, and I don't remember. We had one in in Orlando. Um, that actually I a good friend of mine. Before. Yeah. So I, I always that I always grew up with that with that. Hey, this is. This, this is for us um, kind of thing, but there was one in Orlando, I recall, where- We always watched uh, Creative Loafing was one we we were definitely attached to, but I don't think that that was Black-owned, though. No, there there is one, but I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. I don't remember the name of it. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. still in, in, in circulation now, but growing up, I was used to having a, a Black newspaper. When I lived in Houston, I actually ended up meeting the uh, daughter of the owner of the Black newspaper there. Um, mm-hmm. So I was always kind of around it, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, represent yourself, um, you know, put yourself on the front, make it, make your own front page and put yourself on it. So, yeah, I, and I, like I mean, that. I think, yeah, I think that that's the point of this and just ensuring that we are, you know, doing what we can to, you know, get, get faces out there that are, 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 ex- 
that should get the representation that we should. So I think that that is really awesome. There was a um, Atlanta-based sport newspaper. It was yeah. the uh, mm-hmm. Atlanta Multi-Sport Magazine. Yeah. So that was that was here, and that was done by Anthony Mon- Malone. And I know he did that for a couple years. Yeah. Um, I know that that's no longer there, but I know that that was something when I first started running um, more closer to, I want to say two. 2000 and probably 13 or so that was out and really big when I first started running so I wasn't super super into it but I was looking at it but I didn't really know the people that were in it but now that now that I look back and look at the magazine when I can I do see majority of the people that I know have been in it so yeah so that was one Atlanta multi-sport magazine was one so hopefully um this will be a really good magazine and can display some good levels of diversity. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. as I, when I, um, I mean, I kind of, you know, that's kind of what we do. We, we represent, um, for, you know, uh, you know, black Americans a lot. Mm-hmm. We, and I remember when I was doing shut up, Tommy, my mm-hmm. dream was that each area, would have their own podcast like you know the georgia area florida you know each little area would have their own podcast because i remember when i first started doing shut up tommy and i would run across so many people i wanted to talk to like there was so many people of color that were into running that you never hear about that i wanted to talk to it was over it was kind of overwhelming to me actually and that's why whenever i would talk to somebody because you know just like now, people ask, like, you know, how do you start a podcast, that kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. man, that'd be great if you started a podcast and so-and-so. That'd be great if you right. started, you know, where you can talk to your people. Because that's, I was thinking more local um, mm-hmm. than, you know, trying to talk to people in New York and California and, you know, that kind of area. Just because there's so many people in Atlanta that probably need a, a, a voice. Uh, to yeah. To. So, you know, I, I hope maybe, you know, they'll have a digital magazine up there in, in NYC. Maybe somebody will start one here in Atlanta just, you know, representing ourselves. Yeah, and either way it goes, I mean, I know our podcast has, I mean, we definitely are all over now. You know, we don't, I know that we, at one point, that we definitely highlight Atlanta things and, you know, Atlanta people. However, you know, we're talking to people all over the place. Um, And I think that's just kind of the beauty of it because there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of people in Atlanta doing great things, but there's great people all over the country and outside of the country as well that are, are just as amazing. So hopefully, and if they decide, um, you know, and I'm just speculating that it's a New York thing, um, just from the people that I've seen that are organizing it and do live mm-hmm. in New York. Um, but I think that, you know, I hope that they are reaching out to, I would like to see them reach out to not just New York people. I would like to see them reach out to everyone um and and be very inclusive in the different you know levels of diversity that they're in whether that be race ethnicity running style running experience as well as physique wise um i would like to see a lot of a lot of that being represented in the magazine yeah i would too i would like some nyc stuff because i don't think living in atlanta of course in atlanta there are people we talk to that we see at races all the time Mm -hmm. i would love to see I, the people from NYC that I don't know, you know, that I don't, you know, follow on Instagram that I would like to. So I, I would like to see a little bit of that. Yeah, for sure. I just want to see more people. I mean, at the end of the day, we're surrounded by amazing individuals. Yes. Like there's so many people that, you know, and I get messages all the time of, 
you know, hey, you should interview this person, whatever. And it, it's just all about timing. We do reach out to people and, you know, things of that nature. But there's just so many good people and we'll be able to interview people for days because there's so many of you guys. <laughs> yes, so many. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, did you have anything else, Mr. Mitchell? Mitchell? No, let's go ahead and bring our guest on. Yes, I am so excited about her. So we are bringing on Danae Dormy to the show. All right, we'll bring her on now. All right, so of course, as you all can hear, I was super excited to have our guest for this week on the show. We have Danae Dormy. She is a citizen of the Navajo Nation, and she is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. How are you, Danae? Hi, I'm really good. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> Thank you, Danae, for taking time of your day to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yes. yes. So I did a brief introduction, but I want you to be able to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about kind of where you're from and kind of where did this whole journey start for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, Hi everyone, um, my name is Dene Dormi. I'm a citizen of the Navajo Nation, as India mentioned, but also um, it's important for me to still introduce myself in my language, in the Dene language, and that is so that I can basically let anyone know out there my family's clans um, so that we can, you know, connect and understand uh, our relationships, uh, you know, in that way. So that's always really important for me um, to do anytime I'm introducing myself to um, whether it be a, a room full of new friends or an audience of any kind, uh, just to sort of set that uh, groundwork. And so I am currently residing in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is where I was born and raised, but uh, my mom uh, and her family are from Fort Defiance, Arizona. So I consider that another home of mine as well. And it's on the Navajo reservation. So that is where most of my extended family is. But my dad's family is from Southern New Mexico in a tiny little town, primarily in Tularosa, New Mexico. But our family has a long um, history living in on the Mescalero Apache reservation there. However, my dad's family identifies as Yaqui, uh, indigenous sort of Mexican. And then also uh, he has Spanish ancestry as well. So I come from a couple of different places and call, um, you know, all all of those places home for myself. I'm very uh, rooted in sort of my own family and I'm very close with my mm -hmm. parents and I have a little sister who uh, is in high school. So we all live here in Albuquerque and yeah, I'm a, I'm a lifelong runner. I am currently the associate director of College Horizons. So we are a national nonprofit organization that serves uh, American Indian, Alaska Native and Native Hawaiian youth in pursuit of higher education. So we basically do uh, what we can by providing admission and financial aid workshops uh, and helping students apply to both uh, college um, and also graduate professional school. And yeah, I'm, we, our office is located in Santa Ana, uh, Pueblo actually just north of Albuquerque. Um, so mm -hmm. here I should also mention that in being in what we know as Albuquerque, I am situated on Tiwa land. So um, we are surrounded by many Pueblos here, but we're also on traditional ancestral um, Tiwa homelands um, of many Pueblo communities. So uh, that's something I like to also mention. <laughs> yeah, wow. Such a great introduction. <laughs> yeah. Something that, yeah, something that I, I just, every, when I talk to you, Danae, I just, 
time that there's so much, I guess, culture and respect for your culture. And it's very, it runs deep and it's very heavy within who you are. And I think that that's something that I really like respect and appreciate because I think mm-hmm. that there is a, a, um, there's a gap between education and knowledge of native individuals and when you when for me and I'll speak for myself Tommy I won't speak for you (laughs) but when you meet someone that is of you know that is a native individual being able to hear about your culture and just when you talk about I've I've listened to you on um, Alley on a Run as well as listen to your runners your article in Runner's World it just, it's, it is very, uh, your culture is deeply embedded in you and it kind of goes through your everyday kind of workaround. And I think that is just amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I really definitely credit my parents in that and, and my own community just being raised um, in a place um, like Albuquerque that is at the cross-section of a lot of cultures. That being said, I do always like to emphasize that I did grow up in an urban area, so um, I consider myself an urban uh, native person, and that comes with different privileges than coming um, maybe from a reservation community, but I do um, you know, have lots of family, like I said, my, my grandmother and and a lot of um you know close family are are on the reservation about two and a half hours away and my mom always ensured that we were really connected to that community and consistently you know going back and making sure that I knew where I came I came from and the same goes for my dad's side of the family um but you know again anytime I do interviews or I speak with people um you know, whether it's in regard to racial um, justice or issues related to, um, you know, things going on in Indian country right now, I try to emphasize that I am just one voice in this and that there are hundreds, actually over, well over 500 Native nations, um, you know, across uh, what we know as the United States and, and also across North America. And they all come with different cultures, languages, backgrounds, uh, you know, uh, dances, traditions, prayers, etc. And I think when I speak, I speak from a place of just my own experiences and what I know, um, you know, in the ways that I was raised. But I always welcome people to follow, you know, other Native people and listen to Native voices because we are really diverse. And I think oftentimes as Native people, we get kind of um, homogenized and, and put in one one box and we're not always allowed to be uh, complex <laughs> communities and uh, mm-hmm. and we're seen as sort of one dimensional which I think is rooted in a lot of histories of um, you know stereotypical yeah. things which we can touch on more later but yeah I think that's something I always add as sort of a disclaimer that this is where I come from and um, I acknowledge the ways in which I hold privilege and you know uh, the ways in in which I was brought up so yeah right now I think that what something that comes to my mind is I know that you know in speaking about different individuals and different cultures you know I think one of the stereotypes that comes up is that you know natives are on reserves only you don't want to kind of communicate outside of that and I think it's very refreshing to see and hear and then not only because you work in the collegiate space but you work with individuals that y'all are not just there that y'all are not just in one place y'all are doing amazing things y'all are you know out and about in the community and I just think that's something that this is a way of you being able to 
educate people that that is not just that is not the norm <laughs> right yeah <laughs> that, you know you know even though some people may find it as a rarity to be able to speak to a native I think that you getting on these platforms whether it be podcasts or magazines it is helping to educate and give people this, that exposure yeah yeah there's definitely native people everywhere i mean i think people also um like to romanticize the southwest as this place that is um you know with tons of reservations or you know having a lot of native people because this is where i'm from and while that is true there's a, a strong native population and a strong community of even native runners in albuquerque and um you know the, the greater kind of metro area here I would also say there's Native people all across um, what we know as the United States, and I, I used to live on the East Coast for seven years as well, and there are thriving and large, um, you know, Native communities out in New York and Connecticut and Massachusetts and some of the places that I used to, um, you know, frequent when I lived on the East Coast. So that's something that I think is important to acknowledge because people may have an idea of where um, a lot of Native nations exist, but they really are everywhere. I mean, this is really all Native land. And so, um, you know, our communities are vast and, and still here and thriving. And um, whether that be on reservations or in, um, you know, nearby communities or in major metropolitan areas, there are definitely Native people everywhere. <laughs> Right. Definitely. And um, I would just, you know, like you were saying, a lot of times what we see of Native Americans is very stere stereotypical uh, kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it's good to see someone, you know, um, that that can kind of, it's very educated on your own culture. Because just because you are Native American doesn't always mean you know your own culture. Same thing with African Americans. There's a lot of African Americans don't know their own culture. Um, that well, so that's another thing that I'm, I'm I'm very happy to see, and I definitely have a lot of questions for you about a lot <laughs> yeah. of different things. <laughs> no, um, no, no. <laughs> but um, and I'm not sitting here to make you like the spokesperson for every Native American, but there are just some things I do have actually questions about. But I did want to kind of in the beginning talk a little bit about your running, um, right, and how yeah. you got into because I know your your dad's a coach or he was an athlete as well as your mom so kind of how did you get into running and also I, I heard a little bit of the panel and how you talked about running as a part of your culture can you talk a little bit about that to us yeah um so I got into running mostly through my parents again I think most of most of what I do is very much instilled in me uh you know through family values and I was very lucky to grow up in a home uh where my parents were very active and both in my life and like physically active as individuals um so my dad is uh kind of a second generation coach. I mean, his dad was also a public educator and a, and a high school uh, coach and principal. Mm -hmm. So I think on my dad's side of the family, there was a really long line of just um, being uh, involved in athletics. And so uh, my dad went on to coach. He's been coaching for over 30 years now. And he, my whole life was basically from, you know, ages zero until high school was following him around to practice. So he is both a basketball coach and a track coach. And oh, he's okay. also the athletic director at um, my old high school uh, here at Albu here in Albuquerque. So um, he's, he's still very active, even 
um, even now in his career. And he has just impacted, I mean, countless athletes. I've watched him send so many athletes on to division one schools and to other, you know, collegiate opportunities and sports. And we just grew up as a family of runners. I mean, my mom ran all through high school and, and for her, I think she has really brought me up in a way that, um, that she made sure I knew sort of where I came from as a, as a Diné woman. So as a Navajo woman, um, and as and and knowing that that's like a really big part of where we come from as Navajo people, um, and I've talked about that, of course, on my Instagram and other platforms quite a bit, in terms of running being really a part of our way of life, um, you know, traditionally. And I think a lot about my ancestors, how this was not only their, not only a practical form of transportation for them, but also in Navajo culture, it's widely recognized as a form of prayer and um, a way to get outside and connect with the earth. I, I was really brought up to love the land around me, but to also not see it as something that you can own, right? Like this, this kind of more Western concept of ownership um, that is very much rooted in capitalism was not something that I uh, have subscribed to, I would say. And I believe that, you know, the land is someone that we should include in the conversation. It, I wouldn't be here without it. And so that is, that's very much grounded in my cultural teachings. But um, in terms of running, for me, I think a lot of people use running as a stress relief and, and to get out there and kind of, you know, maintain health and wellness. And that is totally valid and I do the same. I use it as a stress relief. I use it to keep up in my um, wellness uh, as well overall. But I think on top of that, sometimes I, I have heavier runs because sometimes I, I do um, think about people or I, I think a lot about, um, you know, even just the injustices that my own community faces or that other communities are facing. It's been a, it's been a tough few months for, I think, a lot of um, black indigenous and, and runners of color. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think just thinking about those things on the run is really frequent for me and can be heavy, but I think it's important for me to always remember that I, I really wouldn't be here without the land, you know, in our creation stories. And so, um, this is my time to get out there and run as, you know, as long as I am able and use it as a way to be grateful for, um, you know, the air, the oxygen, the trees, the things that we need to run on, the dirt, um, and then also using it as time of reflection. I think in our culture, it, it is not only a, a way to um, sort of gain self-discipline, um, not not really in, in an obsessive way but or an unhealthy way, but a a way that teaches you to get up in the morning and value movement and connection with the ground. And I think we often become so disconnected from those things. And, um, and I, I think I just like to bring my running back, back down to that as much as I can. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how, so I know that on the panel that we, that you took place on this weekend, um, this past weekend with Diverse Rerun, there was a, excuse me, a lot of conversation around safety and inclusion when it came, when it comes to running. Um, tell me kind of how were you, how did your parents talk to you about safety around running? Was it as, uh, just as a female, as a runner in general? Was it because of, you know, being native? Like, how were you, how was it discussed with you? 
Yeah, I think, um, well, and something I didn't talk about just now is that I was a high school athlete. Um, so I ran cross country, played basketball and did track. And so our cross country team ran in a couple of different off-campus locations. And so I just think at a, at a base level starting point, yes, my, my dad as a coach definitely educated me around safety and just being aware of myself in general. And I think he would caution all of his athletes to do that. And, and we were um, always, you know, chaperoned in those instances as athletes. But I think being aware of my surroundings is something that my parents have always taught me. Um, I think a lot of parents probably do when you live in any urban area, like you, if you're going to go out for a run, um, you know, just be aware of your surroundings, I think. Right. Uh, and I think, I think as a, as I grew older, um, especially when I went to college, I did not, I did not play basketball or run collegiately, but I continued to run as a way to just stay well in college. And uh, I found myself in more situations where I was running without my family for the first time. I think because I grew up in a family of runners, it meant that we used to run, you know, I would go to practice with my dad, or if it was the summer, I would be training probably alongside my dad, uh, you know, in the evenings, or I'd go out for a run with my mom or something like that. And so I was just always used to having my teammates or my family around me. And I think once I started experiencing the world as a um, young Native woman in college, 2,000 miles away from where I grew up, <laughs> I realized, okay, this mm -hmm. is something I need to be aware of. But at this same time, I it, it coincided with the research I was doing in college, which I, I was a women's gender and sexuality studies major. So um, a lot of the research that I conducted was on missing and murdered indigenous women. And a lot of the campus advocacy I did was around Title IX and um, and also just uh, Native women's safety in general. And, mm -hmm. and also um, including our LGBTQ um, and two-spirit relatives in that as well. And so I think I started to just be more aware of myself in that sense. I think when you do research on um, tough topics in general, but also ones that can be really heavy for you because they might have a direct impact on your community, or maybe you have yourself experienced violence, I think, or have seen it in your family or in close um, personal relationships. I think those, um, things, studying them can get really heavy and can take an emotional toll on you. And so continuing my runs as both a stress relief, but also trying to stay aware of myself and my safety has always been something um, that I've thought about and things that are tied together. So, yeah. Definitely, definitely. And it totally, I mean, it totally makes sense. I think, <coughs> excuse me, guys, on the panel, you mentioned because I think we, before interviewing you, Tommy and I were talking about safety in regards to in there, that there's different levels of safety. Mm -hmm. um, and on the panel, you mentioned mental safety. Can you talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about that and kind of where you see yourself in regards to mental safety or where you feel like people don't realize that mental safety uh, is kind of important? Yeah, um, yeah, of course. So on top of, like I mentioned, the physical kind of safe sense of safety um, or lack thereof as an indigenous woman, sometimes I would also say that for a lot of, um, at least for myself, again, I can't speak for all uh, Native people or runners. Uh, sometimes I, I would say there are additional burdens 
uh, you know, when you're a native person going into any space. And so this is, this is something that carries through in road racing, which is something I talk about a little bit and that I mentioned on the Diverse We Run panel, which is that a lot of road races are centered around major U.S. holidays, but mm -hmm. something that um, maybe a, a non-Indigenous person may not be uh, aware of, you know, or fully educated around is that a lot of those hol holidays are very much rooted in genocide and enslavement of both Indigenous and Black communities. And so I think just as a Native person going into those spaces, I'm already wary of a lot of holidays that are celebrated that that aren't really celebrating my existence right um but on top of that a lot of that celebration comes with uh certain uh <laughs> things so you might show mm -hmm. up to a halloween or a thanksgiving 5k and people are often in costume and this happens everywhere i've seen it in new mexico i've seen it back in connecticut in new york um you know anywhere I've done a road race on a holiday, I feel like I have seen some form of native appropriation. And I think that's something I've seen from, you know, at concerts, at parties in college. So it's not unique to the running space, but it certainly spills into road racing, um, particularly. And it, it often goes unchecked, I would say. And this kind of this conversation, I think, very much begins in how um, in how Americans view Native people um, today, and how that is largely rooted in in very stereotypical images, and and whether that comes from you know Native mascots of sports teams or costumes at the kind of generic Spirit Halloween box store, you know people are showing up like this and thinking that it is okay to. Um, to do this. And so I always, I kind of talk about in running platforms and spaces a lot, you know, how am I supposed to PR when I show up and someone's mm -hmm. in a native costume and I'm just trying to focus on running, you know, I'm, I'm stretching, I'm warming up, I'm trying to have a good morning uh, as a runner <laughs> and, right. and just, you know, stay in line with my own personal goals. And, you know, I catch sight of a couple dressed as a pilgrim and an Indian, or I catch sight of someone dressed in a, in a giant headdress, you know, and I think with, with face paint and I, and I do, my partner is Navajo as well. And so we, I feel like we have to always make that, that decision kind of in that moment, like, okay, let's, let's probably not worry about this right now because we, we're going to run a race right now. Um, mm -hmm. But also, are we going to deal with this after the race or, you know, or even the fury if that person beats you? Oh gosh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's I'm like, like extra oh. anger, right? <laughs> yeah, extra anger. Um, so, yes. And then I might be maybe more inclined to walk up to them and say something. But of course, yeah. I think that is where, that is where I mostly, that is where I start thinking about mental safety as a native person. And again, that's not just in running. That's everywhere, you know, where I might be trying to take a vacation or or try to um, maybe step back from some of the, the work or you know things I'm doing in my general life um, that might be stressors and I do a lot of work with Native youth as well who are going through the same thing for some of them they're going to school and it's their high school's mm -hmm. mascot and they're they're there for four years with a mascot watching their peers and classmates um, you know war whoop and tomahawk chop and um, wear headdresses and I think that while 
you know, we may suppress some of those things in high school. I know certainly for me, I experienced a lot of very blatant racism in high school, but I may not have been able to name it back then um, from classmates and peers. You know, I I have countless examples of times that high school um, classmates, you know, came up to me and asked me to do a rain dance or, um, Mm. you know, war whooped at me or called me Pocahontas. And at the time, I I just don't think my brain was fully formed around a lot of this, even though I was, you know, aware of native mascotry and my dad has always been an advocate to eradicate native mascots um, in sports, uh, you know, around us here. But even with my knowledge of those topics at the ages of, you know, 16, 17, 18, I did not have the language to fight back against that, you know, as a teenager. And so I think sometimes too, that anger definitely comes back to me as an adult and recognizes, I recognize how much that really did impact me mental health wise growing up. Um, because I also faced a lot of people telling me I just got into college because I was native, right. Or having Mm -hmm. conceptions of native people as either not being intelligent or not being deserving of opportunities, um, that, that were perceived as stolen from a, you know, more qualified student quote unquote. And I think, um, I think that has always informed my work and I ended up going into college admissions actually because of that. Um, So I I would actually say, you know, to those who think that there are bigger issues out in the world or in Indian country specifically than native mascots, it has had a deep um, impact on my life as a a Navajo woman, but also um, I've seen it impact many of our native youth that we work with. And it has, it has basically informed every non-native individual I meet. It's informed their idea of who I am before they even talk to me. So to me, that is a really big issue. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I is- think it would be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, and just to kind of, just to, you know, most of our audience is, is African-American. Most of it, uh, people that listen to us, I would say, um, based on the statistics that I see, but mm-hmm. I think to say to them, like you were just talking about, you get ready to run a race and then you see somebody in, you know, native garb. Um, just think about it as an African-American, if you saw somebody, you know, who had thrown an Afro on the head and was had blackface, we would lose our minds. Right. We would mm-hmm. freaking lose our minds before that race. So the fact that you can actually complete a race after seeing that right. you know, goes yeah. to your temperament <laughs> for sure. Um, so, but I think, yeah. I, I think that because, and, and, you know, like you said, when you were at Yale, yes, she went to Yale, people. She's very intelligent. Um, <laughs> when you were at Yale, that you did find other uh, indigenous people in the area. Um, on the East Coast, at least in the South, I, I know growing up, I did not meet a lot. I mean, there was, mm-hmm. uh, I think there is a Seminole reservation close to where I grew up in Orlando, um, okay. Florida. Yeah. And I want to say there's a Seminole reservation close to, to, to me or where it was, but when I say going to school or meeting or actually discussing anything beyond the stereotypical um, things that you see about Native Americans, that's all I saw. And I think that's why it didn't click with us mm-hmm. initially, at least when I was, like when you said before your adult brain was formed, it didn't click with me yeah. about the names of these teams. Um, Whereas, you know, but I, I'll say this, it, you know, Robert E. Lee Junior High School didn't click with me either until I got older. And I was like, why do yeah. we have a junior high school named after a Confederate, you know, yeah. why, why do mean, we have that? Exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. You know, um, but as I got older, I do remember thinking exactly what I just said about the Washington NFL team. If they had a team, you know, that was named after an African-American um, culture like that, we would lose our minds. And I used to say that all the time. Like, how can people not see that when you're talking, to, you know, when you're talking about that team? So I, I completely understand where you're coming from, you know, in, in that case. And I just think we need to be educated more about your yeah. culture so we understand what's, you know, honestly, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't even say we understand. We should already understand. We shouldn't, especially African-Americans, we shouldn't have to be told because we have dealt with it ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, it's just fortunate enough, I think, that, that there's enough of, in, in the amount of people for African-Americans out there, we have found ways to, to have representation in TV, magazines, where our culture has kind of spread. Um, so you kind of learn about our culture, whereas yours, we don't learn as much. Um, and I think that's something that we need to be educated more on. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely that is a failure of the American education system and the ways in which we are honestly deprived of learning um, learning about the history of colonialism in our country and um, specifically like settler colonialism. And I think, I think as a native person, you know, I always had to do that extra step of work to, to start to understand after high school, okay, if I didn't have the language for this in high school to, um, to combat some of the things that were said to me, which which you know were were a reality and very hurtful, um, I could identify that and go home and you know have a good cry with my parents, but I couldn't really do anything about it. And so I think uh, I think with the help of my parents, I was encouraged to learn about it. But that's that extra work that I feel like a lot of um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color are constantly doing uh, because others are not educated about that um that narrative in in our country and what you know all of, like i said a lot of the holidays that we celebrate are things that we're founded on a lot of people don't know the history behind a lot of these things and so mm -hmm. to me when people say they're honoring or respecting me by you know throwing on some face paint and calling a team name a racial slur uh, that impacts me and how others see me i see them honoring a legacy of colonialism so um, but I, I had to educate myself on that and be my own teacher in a lot of cases mm -hmm. because my own educators, my own teachers, as, um, as well-intentioned as they may have been, were, were themselves very uneducated about, around my um, histories. And, you know, I think a lot of Native students get to college and start to realize they have a lot in common with other Native students that are there. And we realize, like, hey, did your teacher also assign you? Um, you know, the presentation on Sacagawea or things like that, you know, did, did people tell you that you didn't deserve to go to college too? Do people think your parents don't pay taxes? Do people, um, you know, think that your family are all alcoholics? And I think a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, communities in the, in the U.S., a lot of mar marginalized communities do experience that, um, that with stereotypes right we find that we have to combat those all the time and that where we aren't often allowed um uh as as people of color to to be complex to uh have varying opinions to have varying lifestyles to come from different places um and for me as a native person come from different you know we all come from different languages traditions cultures um backgrounds but we kind of get grouped together and there's a real there's a real harm in that. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's, it, 
it, it's just a, it's, it can be a tough issue, but I think I've gotten used to speaking on it because it, it is my life. So <laughs> I have to, right. I have to find ways to, to engage people in it. And some days I have to be patient in their learning process. And it's hard to be patient when you've spent your entire life being the teacher, not the student. Um, I could even mm -hmm. travel 2000 miles away to a place like Yale. And I still had professors, um, non-native ones who, who would ask for my input on, you know, incorporating native material in a classroom. And mm -hmm. to me, I, there, you know, that's a, if that's happening to native students today, still, which I'm sure it is, um, I didn't go to college that long ago. That's a disservice to that student going off to that college. So that's another reason why I say, even though I did go to Yale and I did, um, I do appreciate the education I received there. I think it's a huge privilege and it puts me in a position to speak on a lot of these issues. So I do not, um, do not try to deny that in any way. I think just it's important to know that even some of these institutions we hold up in this high regard in our country, they fail a lot of our uh, Black, Indigenous, and students of color. Um, so, you know, because they're not necessarily teaching them their histories either. We had a lot of buildings named after um, named after slave owners, uh, you know, at Yale. And there's a lot of student mm -hmm. activism around that. And so I think, I think there's, you know, it's important to acknowledge that and, and uh, be educated around that, but it is a journey. And I, I am typically very open to conversations, um, but I have definitely been met with hostility before. <laughs> right. And I think it's, I think something that you basically, in, in so many words, you basically said, the, you want the representation to be there, but you also, everyone else has to do their own work at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we all kind of take heed to. And I know I, I, I mentioned this in the Black Lives Matter podcast that Tommy and I did was nobody, none of us are perfect and we all have room to be educated and to have a better understanding about right. the people that we engage with and, and, and that we that are just in our world, like at the end mm -hmm. of the day. And that are also like in the, in the sport of running, like everyone that runs, like there is a plethora of, of cultures and backgrounds and everything. And we just have to do better with educating ourselves. And we can't expect for everyone to be, or for you all to be the teacher to us, even though it is, it, it feels good and it sounds good. And we love getting the information. We also have to do the work for ourselves to, to right. kind of be better understand the cultures. Yeah, yeah, that's why I like to share mostly about my experiences um, because I am not, I'm not an expert on these things. I am just, an, I'm a native person. So I just kind of have to live with the realities every day that, that people are going to have certain um, pictures of who I am and what my family does and, um, you know, the the things that I bring to the table, they're going to have a picture of what that is before I show up. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's a constant battle. And, you know, I think that when you're a young Indigenous person, and this does happen throughout your life, you spend a lot of time invalidating yourself and feeling that sort of imposter syndrome. Um, and then, you know, it's been a long time coming for me to sort of rebuild that. And um, mm -hmm. I did work for three years as a college admission officer, and so I did have the opportunity to read thousands of uh, college essays for students who were applying to Yale. And I think once I started doing that, I think it gave me a lot of hope that this generation, my sister's generation actually coming up, um, you know, they 
they are really taking a lot of um, as much space as possible and also uh, taking that time to learn. And so she definitely makes me proud in her, in her journey. She's further along with the language that she has for this than I was. Um, mm. And I'm really happy about that. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's great. How do you feel like, because I know there's been obviously the conversation of uh, inclusion as well as Mm -hmm. representation. How do you feel like you, like, where do you feel like you are within the running community? Like, how do you connect with the running community being that there's races and things like that, that, you know, take, take place and that there's people there that are not as understanding and obviously the races as a whole can't dictate what a, one individual does, but I guess, where do you feel like you, like, how do you connect? Like, yeah. I mean, I love the running community. I've been in it my whole life. So I think it, it's been a whirlwind of a past year, I would say, because mm-hmm. I have been able to um, have more of a platform and be um, someone who does speak on a lot of these issues, but I've been a runner my whole life. And so I, I think just through my dad, knowing that, that the running community here in Albuquerque that my family was a part of was mm-hmm. um, primarily people of color. And I saw a lot of native runners and I have a lot of wonderful role models. And I was fortunate enough to look up to some amazing pro runners like Alvina Begay and Billy Mills mm-hmm. and people who are out there um, that I saw, you know, who, who valued their cultures and um, you know, came from some of the same places as me. And so I think it was really inspiring for me. And my dad always made sure that I had those role models um, that were visible. Mm-hmm. And he he was like, he was my role model too, right? My dad was a division one, um, you know, athlete and he ran for the University of Colorado Boulder. And so we, mm-hmm. we visited his college campus all the time. And I think that uh, it helped me understand like, okay, my dad has a place in the running community. Like I have a mm-hmm. place in the running community. Right. Um, there are other native people out here that, um, you know, we may not always see and highlight them, but like the native pro runners are there too. And like the sub elites are there too. And the, um, and the, the native, you know, running groups that are, uh, training at a high level. And then also just the native runners who, you know, are out there for health and wellness or running as a family. Um, we have, we have tons of different groups in Albuquerque. And I think that has been really important in my upbringing and ensuring like, okay, I'm, I, I belong here and, you know, it's okay. But I think it can get frustrating sometimes to see Mm -hmm. so many, uh, so many images in the running community that, that don't reflect, um, native people, uh, you know, and, and don't really acknowledge the land that we're on. I find it Mm -hmm. honestly a a little baffling that, that most major U S cities, right. And most major U S like, um, highways, trails, waterways, streets, names of major landmarks, buildings, etc. A lot of those are rooted in like the, um, the like indigenous ancestry in that area. And a lot of the indigenous communities that things um, are named after or are even there because of uh, those communities are still there and thriving. So people love to really situate native people in the past. Um, Sometimes even when I do podcasts, people will reach out to me and say, Oh, I, I appreciate you educating me on this. 
I, I am now, you know, so happy and grateful to, um, to connect with the land and think of all the native people that were once here. And when I hear that wording, I immediately think they're still there. Right. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm still here. You're talking to me. Right. So, <laughs> I think sometimes, uh, that, it's so interesting to me that even when hearing from me and uh, I'm a real person with like real contemporary interests, right? And I still, mm -hmm. I'm still, still rooted in my culture um, that people do situate native folks in the past. But, um, you know, for, for us, it's like I'm, I'm seeing the world around me and a lot of things are very much rooted in um, you know, areas and very like fertile lands, for instance, where indigenous people were already um, settled and had already identified as good places to live alongside rivers in, um, in areas that were, you know, plentiful with resources and had a lot of food sources and things like that. Those are a lot of the areas across the U.S. where we have major metropolitan cities. Um, but also mm -hmm. those are the areas we like race on, right, for road racing. Mm -hmm. Yet very few road races um, incorporate uh, tribal nations into that. Um, I do talk a lot about land acknowledgements, but um, in, in hoping that races will start incorporating that, but also tread lightly with that, because I think with land acknowledgements, a lot of people are doing those as sort of the check the box way to represent Native people, and they're often done by non-Native people, and they're often not um, really recognizing the history of the land and they often don't uh, end in a lot of a whole lot of change and collaboration with the native runners or community in that area so I I do try to like say that but add that caveat of like that needs to come with some change and some way to give back to the community like we use the land but what are you giving the land that's what I'm always challenging people to think about as runners mm -hmm. um, we use it every day and and you know, now what are we going to give back to the local indigenous community or even the land itself as people who benefit from, um, from this space? So, and I, I like to put hopefully some of that responsibility on, um, you know, non uh, indigenous people and, and, and white individuals, I think. So yes. anyone who's in a position of, of, you know, power and leadership, I think it, it is a part of their responsibility. So that could include brands and, um, you know, those who may be directing road races and things like that. I'm always open to those conversations, but also I, I usually ask, you know, pay, pay native people for their work and for their input, because they're also not just here as, as, you know, again, your stereotypical land guide, right? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, no, we, we have been, and we'll always be stewards of the land. And this is something that we um, don't really think about or acknowledge in the running community a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, all of that totally, totally makes sense. Like you just laid out the things that need to be done and the things that, that should be worked on. And, just kind of where we need to start in the running community to, to start having better inclusion. Yeah, yeah, but I find that there's a lot of good work being done and I, I do appreciate the work that Carolyn has done, Carolyn Sue has done over mm -hmm. at Diverse We Run to to bring mm -hmm. light to a lot of these voices. There's also, there's also some like really awesome indigenous um, activists and runners out there um she's my friend on social media but jordan jordan daniel has been doing mm -hmm. so much um activism well before i stepped into this space too um as more of an advocate and not just a, a runner but um i i look to a lot of those people as um as people who have paved the 
pathway to me being able to even talk about these things. Right. And I think that this is just the beginning, honestly. I think that, you know, this is where we have to, I know the the word is being thrown around as elevating the voices of others. And I think that this is where we have to kind of give people more exposure and understanding of some of the things that should and shouldn't be done, should and shouldn't be said, and that you all are here. You're not gone. <laughs> like yes, yeah, exactly. To, it's like it's an act of resistance to literally be alive, I think, <laughs> right, as a Native person. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, and exactly. I, think, I think with all this um, social injustice protesting and things like I think it's like, you know, um, uh, a wave raises all boats. I think all you know minorities are getting uh, getting their voices heard now um, because of this this current uh, atmosphere that we're in um, mm-hmm. you know it's like everybody's pointing to just like you said the, the I mean the the gentleman that owns the Washington NFL team I think at one point said that he would never change the name yeah you know yeah, he did. And, <laughs> yeah I think at one, I mean he was just staunch and I mean I remember when he said it I was like are you kidding are you really I mean if nothing else let's just look at you are a millionaire and if you change the name, you can sell more, you know, you have more jerseys you can sell. I mean, yeah. So I was always like, what are you thinking? Why, why are you this this hard on it? Um, but I'm very happy to see that, that things are changing. And I think you will see it, you know, we live in Atlanta. We have, you know, uh, a team right. here mm-hmm. um, that, you know, does the war cry and, you know, does the chop and all that. Um, so I, I look for change to come here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in Florida that we have right. a, a state university with, you know, the same uh, a kind of thing going on, which, um, you know, as I sit here and as you were talking, I was thinking the same thing, like, okay, if I saw a, someone painted up like a black man running onto a field, you know, do, you know, imitating what, you know, African-Americans do, I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can understand, you know, your outrage. So I do see things changing and I hope it doesn't end with that team in, in, in Washington, DC. Yeah, I think I think a lot of um, indigenous activists too have really been grateful and speaking up about the fact that, that um, what we considered a pretty big victory with finally Washington's team name, you know, being changed or so. So we've heard in the media and yeah. we're waiting for yeah, the new exactly. um, yeah, team waiting. name and stuff. But mm-hmm. as of right now, um, you know, that is a definitely a, a victory and a movement that was generations, honestly, um, mostly led by Native women. But I think what's cool is that a lot of Native people have been acknowledging the the real um, the real impact that the Black Lives Matter movement had on this movement for Indigenous um, people. Uh, you know, getting the Washington team name uh, eradicated, and so I think we we find it really powerful that um, that there's a lot of communities coming together and also acknowledging that there are black indigenous people um, who come from a couple different backgrounds and um, are at the forefront of a lot of that advocacy. And so we definitely, I think, um, as a lot of native activists have mentioned, like could not have received this level of um, of media coverage and uh, an elevation, as, you know, as a movement without the without the momentum from um, you know the past few recent months of activism around Black Lives Matter movement. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's a it's a national wave and conversation happening, but we're like so grateful for that for that um, 
ability to connect across different platforms and through different people. And um, I think I'm hoping that other team names change for sure. And there's hundreds of high schools across the yes. U.S. who mm-hmm. have yes. racist <laughs> mascots in it. It's mm-hmm. tough because that's a that's at a foundational level. Like I mentioned with you guys, my experiences in high school totally shaped me today. And there's Native youth who are impacted by that. There's there are research studies done. Um, Dr. Stephanie Freiberg and and for those of you out there maybe looking for resources on this, Reclaiming Native Truth is a really big study done by a number of people, um, a number of Native people out there on the impact of Native mascots because people time and time again, I think, love to tell um, Native advocates that this doesn't impact the actual state of Native people or communities and this doesn't um, this isn't the biggest issue we're facing. It's not mentally um, uh, difficult to see a mascot, things like that, these misconceptions. They they did uh, sort of empirical research studies around how this does impact um, Native youth to see negative imagery um, about them and their culture and their families and their ancestors every day in the media and really never have any positive reinforcement or representations. And I, I would say that carries into um, your adult life. So yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a big win and we're, we're excited. I think um, most of the, my friends and a lot of Native advocates I've seen on um, Twitter and Instagram are definitely excited, but holding, um, holding their breath for sure on, on more decisions. So yeah, definitely. Definitely. Tommy, did you have any, I want to ask um, Danae one more thing, but it's more personal. Oh yeah, totally. Cultural. <laughs> did you have anything else cultural you wanted to um, ask? Actually, I did have a question. And you know, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. How versed are you in, because I'm a big history buff. I, I read a lot of history on all cultures. I read colonial history as well. And just try to connect the dots on what's real and what's not. Um, but how versed are you on like the treaties that are currently being, uh, well, I guess not being honored and that sort of thing? Are you versed on that kind of thing or would you want to talk about it? I mean, I think, I think most Native people, like I said, we kind of have to educate ourselves around a lot of the issues that impact our community directly every day. And a lot of Native advocates call themselves treaty enforcers, which I love because mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately... Um, that's ultimately something that is definitely, it's at the base of like access to higher education, access to good healthcare, um, you know, things like the access to the land, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, um, uh, you know, there's a big case that was recently deci- decided in the Supreme Court um, where the Muscogee Nation was, um, their, some of their land was reinstated, their homelands were reinstated to um, be a reservation. And that was a really big deal. Be- but again, the, the, you know, the media has really, I would say, kind of botched a lot of the headlines around that as they did the NFL team, um, because there's just really a fundamental lack of understanding around what a treaty is. And so um, basically, this land was already Muscogee land, right? We already knew that um, historically it was Muscogee land and that Muscogee people were, uh, and this isn't what we know as present day Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, we already knew that this was their land, but Oklahoma as a state was, you know, essentially not enforcing it as that and giving Muscogee Nation the, uh, or 
at honoring essentially Muscogee Nation's ability to um, have jurisdiction over that land. So I, I'm not an expert on that case. I'm also not a Muscogee person and mm-hmm. I have many friends who speak on that. So I do encourage those out there who are interested in more of that like land discussion um, and how that Supreme Court decision was made to go out there and Google it because that is something where I have, I know even native Muscogee native youth who are um, well-versed in speaking on, on the land uh, issue that they're experiencing right now. But that was considered uh, you know, a victory, I would say in Indian country. That being said, the whole uh, case that it was surrounding still had to do um, with jurisdiction over um, a case of violence. So, you know, there's a lot of layers to that. And um, I encourage people to read more about it if they have questions. I'm definitely not an expert on that. But I think as a Native person, we're aware that the United States entered into federal, you know, nation to nation treaties with we're sovereign nations. So, uh, you know, indigenous communities are sovereign nations. And there's a lot of conversations around being federally recognized and blood quantum and things like that, that are probably a whole nother episodes worth of information. But, um, (laughs) but, but like I said, um, enforcing treaties is really important today because it has real world consequences in terms of promises that the United States government made to um, Native nations. And so that those promises often include access to higher ed, access to healthcare, and and also land rights um, and ownership. And so I think it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of those aren't enforced today. And there's a lot of Native lawyers and advocates who work to make that um, happen but yeah I'm, I'm definitely not an expert and don't want to speak for Muscogee people so I will um, in terms of their issue happening today so I'll end there but definitely <laughs> encourage people to learn more about it thank you yeah thank you. for sure well thank you very much I think you are very very knowledgeable of you know your culture and, and your life and of course there's there's a lot of things that, you know, is still to be learned and to be heard about. And I just re- appreciate you providing resources and everything that's associated with it. Now, I know with the current climate of the, um, of the coronavirus and mm-hmm. COVID-19, you were anticipated to run the New York City Marathon. Is that right? I was, yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> I was like I, sad. I, I about that. And I'm like, oh no. I'm like, so how are you, I guess, processing and feeling that? I know, like, I really, yeah. we try to, you know, when we communicate with our interviewees, we want to ensure that, you know, you you are still an individual, even though you're giving us all the education. So right. how are you processing <laughs> you know, not yeah. New York in it being, you know, canceled for 2020. Yeah, it's, um, it's difficult. I am trying not to um, think about it too much. And just remember okay. that they are allowing an opportunity to potentially roll into next year through different um, means. I'm a charity runner. So it's going to work a little different for me than somebody who maybe got in on a lottery. Um, mm-hmm. I am running, I'm still planning to run. Uh, hopefully, if it happens in 2021, I have opted to run, um, you know, in an upcoming race. So just waiting to hear on confirmation about how that work but I'm still um, I'm pretty sure that 
should be fine. Um, so I'm still raising money for Girls Inc. of New York City. Um, and they they do a lot of great work um, for, for girls in New York City metro area, mostly young women of color. Um, a lot of work around like STEM access and education and um, college prep and stuff like that. So some of the work that I do now and uh, I definitely am excited to run for them. So I was in the middle of raising money for that and hoping to train this year. It would have been my first marathon. So I'm definitely mm. bummed that, yeah, I'm definitely bummed that I'm not going to uh, do that. I am a runner that I do something else I kind of talk about uh, a lot is that I suffer from accessory navicular syndrome. So mm -hmm. I, um, I have the, I, I am blessed <laughs> to have uh, two, uh, basically uh, an extra very tiny bone in both of my feet located near like my arch area. So it kind of messes up some tendons in there and I have really flat feet and it, it kind of pulls those flat feet down further and causes um, overpronation, like mm. all the issues. And so it's, it's very much a chronic pain. It's very much um, a medical condition that I have to deal with. It's not super common in the running community. Sometimes when I do these uh, podcasts, people will reach out to me, like one person will be like, I have accessory oh, navicular wow. syndrome too. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but the actual feeling, the actual symptoms varies. Uh, so I feel very severe symptoms. So I am like uh, kind of in a, in a very rare position where I have it and I have it really bad. <laughs> so, um, so I never thought I would run a marathon. I'm more of like a 5k runner. I try to focus on like getting my times up in shorter distances because my feet mm. have limitations. And, um, and I have, I did my first runner's world streak and I was, um, on a roll, you know, I ran for 40 days in a row and I'm confident I could go through marathon training in the shape that I'm in now. So it was definitely mentally taxing to get, um, to, to get the decision, but also I would not have want to have any, um, anyone compromise their safety or health for it. So you know, I'm glad they made the decision. Uh, but yeah. for now, I'm just trying to shift my focus and keep running for, for fun as much as possible. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm excited to, to watch your journey on social media towards yeah. getting to your first full. That's always I'm, exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, definitely. My, my dad is more of a, a shorter distance runner, too. So my parents did a ton of half marathons and they actually um didn't ever really pursue the marathon distance either um mm -hmm. so I think it's like exciting like for my family I'm gonna go do a marathon <laughs> yeah <laughs> doing a marathon is huge so yeah. that is you know amazing and it, it will be so rewarding once you cross that finish line <laughs> yeah I I can't wait I'm excited to get back to the east coast too um whenever I can because I did live there for seven years so yeah. oh yes well is, if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you um how can they contact you yeah um so I'm on Instagram um that's where I'm most active for sure uh okay. so it's at Danae D-I-N-E-E -E, underscore pink 22 um pink is my favorite color so <laughs> uh and then i'm also on twitter i think twitter i'm just at Danae dormy um you should be able to search my name at any other platform and i i'm on there um so yeah feel free to follow me on those two platforms i spend a lot of time talking about um my own personal running but also i talk a lot about racism in sports um things like that so yeah i'm I'm happy to have new followers and I welcome conversations. Feel free to DM me. Awesome. Yes, well, thank yes, you so thank much. you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for the work you do too. And like creating this space and um, I'm, I'm also a fan of the podcast, so it's a, a comforting space for me as a runner to hear from, um, you know, two strong people of color speaking on running and your experiences. So I'm very appreciative of the work that you do. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we definitely appreciate the support. Well, I am following you on social media for sure. And, you know, I think that I'm just looking forward to everything that continues to open up for you and you know for everything that continues to come in your future and finishing your marathon and everything and we really appreciate your time today oh thank you so much yeah <laughs> thank you thank you appreciate right. it thank you bye bye-bye what a great interview yes oh Isn't my she gosh she is amazing very a wealth, uh, of knowledge. Yeah, wealth of knowledge she really knows what she's talking about um yes. really enjoy talking with her Yes. Thank you so much, Danae. That was amazing. Amazing. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Now, India, if they want to get in touch with you, because you all over the place, if they want to get in touch with you <laughs> and follow yes. you, how do they do that? So they can find me on Instagram. Um, my blog Instagram is Miles from India. You can also find me on my personal Instagram at I underscore of underscore Indigo, which is E-N-D-I-G-O underscore runs. Um, and you can also follow me and subscribe to my YouTube page, which is Miles from India. And I'm also on Facebook. I'm on there a little bit, but that's just India Cook. So you can find me at any of those places. And if you would like to email me, you can email me at milesfromindia at gmail.com. And you can hit me up at Thomas W. Mitchell, the number two at gmail.com, at TMH68. And of course, uh, you can always DM us at the, uh, the Run Duo Instagram. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was great. Episode 63 in the book. Peace. We see y'all in a couple of weeks. Bye.